open, outspoken. It's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. LASIK is a procedure that has been around for over 20 years. It has evolved and grown over time, and most recently with the introduction of topography-guided treatments. I wanted to talk to some of the best surgeons in the field to get their perspectives on the advances in LASIK. Where are we going? What works best for them? First, I sit down with a mentor of mine who I met when I was still in med school, Dr. Asim Paracha. He shares his take on the evolution of this technology. The results are really quite amazing. And I always wonder, you know, what's holding it back? Next, I speak with Dr. Bill Wiley to find out how topo-guided LASIK has allowed him to expand treatments to patients that he did not consider candidates in the past. We've all, over the past probably five or ten years, have seen patients with irregular corneas and said, well, there's technology that's coming. Why don't you wait for that technology to come out? And finally, you know, you know we have this technology and those patients have started to trickle back in. And finally, I sit down with Dr. Carl Stonecipher to hear his perspectives on the Alcon rollout of Contour Vision and get some great for those who are new to this technology. I started working with this obviously in the FDA trials and we got some of the best results we've ever seen with uncorrected distance visual acuity but on top of that we've gotten some of the best results in terms of reducing glare, reducing halo, reducing you know, some of these side effects that are unwanted. Listen in, it's going to be a great episode. This episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid is sponsored by Centurion by Alcon. This is Ophthalmology Off the Grid with Dr. Gary Wirtz, and today I have with me um, a friend and mentor, um, Dr. Austin Paracha from uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, Austin, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, not only taking time to uh, talk to me about your experience with LASIK and sort of the great LASIK debate that's going on right now, but um, a lot of people don't know this, but you were actually uh, a real big reason why I became an ophthalmologist. And so... Um, just to kind of go back, you know, you were the guy when I was a med student, I came over and shadowed and uh, got to see cataract surgery, got to see some LASIK, and that played a pretty big uh, role in me uh, following in your footsteps at UK. And so it's just kind of funny now, um, you know, years later, getting to look back on that experience. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really super thankful for, for all you did then and continue to do for me as, as really a mentor and friend. Um, so with that being said, I just want to say, you know, thanks for, for spending some time with me today and giving us, you know, and the world at large, some of your insights um, in terms of what's going on uh, with LASIK right now. Well, you're welcome, Gary, and thanks for including me. Actually, I'm very excited about doing this with you. I think it's a great topic, and actually, I do remember that day very clearly when you came in and you were in med school and didn't really know what you wanted to do. And we spent uh, some time in the OR, and I could just see your eyes light up and it almost, uh, that day, it looks like you decided that's what you wanted to be. Yeah. Was, uh, yeah. yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was really a pivotal moment for me. So it's really, really cool that uh, we got to share that. As you know, we've gone through a renaissance with, with LASIK from the very um, beginning, starting with you know broad beam lasers and PRK and going into more advanced lasers for LASIK and going from broad beam to flying spot and you know from a, a conventional platform into the... Um, more of the uh, wavefront guided treatments. And now, um, you know, we're trying to catch up with the rest of the world who's been doing uh, topographic guided treatments. And we have two platforms that are approved. One is the uh, Wavelight Allegretto uh, platform, which is approved, but not uh, um, essentially not being widely used at this point, not been widely released. So as you look at where LASIK has come from and where we are now, and perhaps where we're going, where do you see the landscape right now um, 
perhaps evolving or do you feel like where we are right now is, is a pretty a pretty hard place to uh, to improve upon. I just love to have you know kind of an overall um, overview of what your thoughts are on on the current state of the technology. Well, I think LASIK has evolved uh, actually a lot just in my career. I started doing LASIK in '99, and we started off with the you know ACS and Hansatome, uh, microkeratomes, and used other ones as well. And then we went to the standard treatments and then to the custom treatments. And really where it is now is that I do think the platforms are mature. I mean, the, the uh, femtosecond lasers to create, you know, really nice flaps, uh, safe flaps, you know, uniform planar flaps has really reduced the risk of atasia. We get nice, uh, well-centered flaps over the visual axis and pupils, so the whole ablation is, you know, fully within the, the exposed bed. And then with the current lasers, either the Allegretto system, which I use, or the, the Visex uh, Custom View, and now the iDesign is coming out, the NIDEC uh, options I don't have experience with, but the results are um, really quite amazing. And I always wonder, you know, what's, the, what's holding, it, holding it back? Because if you look at the data, the data is, it is remarkable. I mean, excellent, 20, you know, high, high 2020 outcomes, low enhancement rates, good quality vision, uh, very few enhancements in our practice, and very few complaints. So it's really evolved, and I think the issue is, you know, some of the perception of the, 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 the public at large, maybe myths, maybe some uh, un, unrealistic fears or unfounded fears from, you know, prior generations of LASIK. But uh, right now it's quite mature, but we can always get better. We can have faster lasers. We can have, you know, ray, ray tracing technology. We can have better... Uh, you know, alignment on the visual axis, uh, compensate for angle kappa. So a lot of things can be done still. But right now, uh, it's mature, and I think it will continue to evolve. You know, that's a great way to say it. The technology is very mature. And, and one thing I tell friends or, or potential patients is um, the newest news about LASIK is that it's old. You know, LASIK has been around, you know, since the you know mid to late 90s. And we are essentially using the nuts and bolts. Um, obviously, as we mentioned, things have improved, but the, the basic procedure has really um, been around for quite a while now, um, going on 20 years. And so um, we would really know if this was not a technique or not a procedure that had legs and it was not going to be good long term, I think, at this point. And so your point is well made that uh, this is a mature technology. And you know, sometimes you know, we're, we're getting so close to perfection, anything you change um, it's sort of like standing at the North Pole. Any step you take, you're going south. And so where we are, not to say that things can't get better, but it is really going to be difficult to take a platform, especially uh, like the Wave, Wavelight Allegretto uh, with the Wavefront optimized treatment that, um, you know, is, is, is very robust. It's, it seems to be um, very well tolerated, lots of happy patients. Um, it's really tough to trade that in for something that may potentially, at least going through a learning curve um, or have other issues, in the short term may um, not give quite as good results. Um, and so that's where I feel like there is um, a room for debate right now as to do we take this next step into uh, the topo-guided treatments. And so where I would see this working, and in, in, as we have discussed also, is especially in those corneas that um, maybe had a decentered um, ablation in the past, or maybe they're an aberrated cornea for one reason or another, or maybe a corneal transplant, um, or just a patient that doesn't have a normal topography for, in, for, for other reasons, 
this could give them a chance to normalize uh, their topography and give them a chance at, at good vision, whereas a traditional treatment would not do that. What are your thoughts on that? Right. So I think that's the irony here, is I think that uh, wavefront optimized is, you know, it's a pure refractive treatment, meaning it corrects the refractive error, and it does not induce additional high-order aberrations, which mainly is spherical, ab spherical aberrations. So we get great quality vision, great outcomes with the wavefront optimized, and it's very consistent. You do a refraction, you see what the patient you know, can see with that, and there's very little like artifacts or noise in the system. If you throw in the topographic guided treatments, I think what you're saying is correct, is that it can be used for a select uh, few patients who have irregularities, like uh, you know, wanting to enlarge the optical zone or have some you know, early signs of keratoconus, and you want to normalize and, and make the cornea more regular. But the approval for the TCAD or topographic guided treatments in the United States is actually on virgin eyes, and it should be on patients who have very little ab, uh, you know, irregularities of the cornea, and their topography needs to match very clearly or very closely with their refraction, and it's only approved for LASIK. So um, the, the approval, approval for topographic guided are not the patients that would benefit the most from topographic guided and actually have you know, more risk for getting some outliers if not done perfectly well and not, you know, a very astute uh, clinician and surgeon who can really look at the, the measurements, make sure the measurements are perfect, make sure they're accurate, and make sure they're consistent, uh, or else you could get some unusual outcomes. So the ideal patient would be, let's say, a, a, a form for us keratoconic patient or a patient with a previous uh, LASIK with a decentered ablation or a central island or a small OZ, and in that case, you do a surface ablation, you know, PRK or ASA, or whatever you call it, combined with maybe cross-linking. But that's not what we're using it for in the United States when it gets uh, released to the general uh, public. Well, and I, I think all of that is, is really where we're all sort of scratching our heads right now. Um, it, the release to the, to the masses, if you will, with the wave light has sort of been, I don't want to say delayed, but I guess it's been slower than a lot of people have um, thought it would be. And I, I think that has to do with the fact that there's perhaps a lot of ways that you could um, introduce noise or introduce errors if you're not careful. Right. Um, and, and that's actually to Alcon, I think Alcon's credit is they wanted, this was approved a couple years ago. And, you know, it's only being released now, probably this spring. But it's been approved for a couple of years, I think since 2013. And so the reason why it's been delayed is that the several, you know, well-intentioned uh, ophthalmologists, LASIK surgeons warned Alcon that, look, this is a very powerful tool, but you can't just release it and let everybody start using it because you'll get some problems. So I think they've been cautious, and I give them credit for that. And I think that everybody is going to go through some, you know, four-hour course to learn how to use it. And they're going to be, you know, selective and, 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 you know, rolling it out. So that's to their credit. But the reason is, is because, right, if you don't know this technology inside and out, and you don't plan each patient very, you know, meticulously, you could get some uh, unusual outcomes. Well, and I agree with you. You know, you don't. The last thing any company wants to do is release a product before it's ready um, for, you know, prime time and. It is to their credit for being cautious, um, and so I will give them a lot of credit for doing that because it's very tempting if you're a company and you're looking for sort of the next flashy thing to get it rolled out. But um, I agree with you that an abundance of caution 
uh, is warranted whenever you're talking about changing something that is so um, successful, so well established. Um, it's it's a it's a difficult thing they have set out to do is to improve upon something that is, you know, gosh, very very close to perfection in terms of the wavefront optimized. Um, right. I mean, the, yeah. the other thing, just as a kind of a perspective, is that this technology has been around for about twelve years, maybe thirteen years, you know, in the in, internationally, and it's been approved here for a couple years, and we're just getting it now. And if you look at the actual patterns of use around the world, people have had all of them available, you know, wavefront guided, wavefront optimized, and topographic guided, the, the topographic guided treatments are still a very small percentage, maybe 2 or 3% in a very, you know, advanced clinics like David Lin's clinic in, in Vancouver. I mean, he's been talking about topographic guided treatments for forever, and he had that four-step, you know, neutral TNT pattern he talked about. And, you know, but even in his practice, where he gets a lot of unusual patients, and a lot of out, you know, patients that have previous issues, he's only using it 2 or 3% of his patients. The rest are not getting topographic guided. So I think we have to be, you know, use the experience of our international colleagues and, and make sure we're not, you know, stepping into an area where we're going to regret uh, in the future. Well, and that, that goes back to your earlier point that you made about irregular corneas, um, you know, potentially form frus keratoconus patients, um, patients who've had, you know, decentered ablations. To me, if I'm looking at the the big picture, you know, I would love to have topographic guided treatments for patients who have those issues and I can do cross-linking at the same time. You know, it really seems like maybe the 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 missing piece of this all at this point maybe, you know, the um access to corneal cross-linking because, you know, um a lot of people in this area have been sent up to Ontario, you know, in the Kentucky area, have been sent up to Ontario um, for um, surface ablation, you know, topographic guided surface ablation and cross-linking, you know, just because we don't have access to those technologies. And, you know, if you're looking at the big picture, um, I, I think that that may be the niche that you're really looking at to say, you know, this is the group of patients that we could really, you know, um, sink our teeth into um, justifying a topographic guided treatment. What are your thoughts on, on that as maybe the missing piece or the missing partner to topographic guided treatments? Right. I mean, I think that's the, the, the perfect uh, partnership or perfect uh, combo is topographic surface ablation with cross-linking to fix irregular corneas. And, and it's nice to have that ability. So to have that in our, in our you know, as an option, is in our toolbox, to offer wavefront optimized, wavefront guided, topographic guided, and select the patients out perfectly. It's nice to have that, and I, and I want it, uh, especially for patients who have some irregular corneas. But I would, I'm, I will at this point look to be cautious on who I use topographic guided on because of the you know issues we talked about. What's interesting is that 2020 outcomes are highest with wavefront optimized, but the 2012.5 um, Visual outcomes are highest with topographic guided. So it's you know so it's uh, there is potential for improving beyond what we can get with wavefront optimized. But on the other hand, there are more outliers. And so the question is, do you want to aim for that 2012.5 with a little bit more chance of having some unusual outcomes, or do you want to aim for the 2020 outcome and you know have very few if any unusual outcomes? Yeah, I think that's um, that is. <laughs> hopefully, we don't have to make that choice. Hopefully, we get to the point where uh, we can have our cake and eat it too. But it, it, everything at this point, there are there are trade offs when we're trying to chase perfection for sure. 
So, you know, awesome. I, I just want to say thank you so much for you know, weighing in on this. I share a lot of your um, perspectives, um, your concerns, and also the hopes for this technology, you know, really finding its own place and um, really appreciate you coming on and giving your, your insights. I, uh, thanks for having me. And I, I do feel that LASIK is, you know, has a great future for our patients. And it's an amazing technology, an amazing procedure, and it will continue to uh, provide excellent outcomes. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz with Ophthalmology Off the Grid, and once again, we have with us Dr. Bill Wiley from Cleveland. And uh, Bill, I just want to say thanks for taking a little bit of time out of your evening and talking to uh, me and, and the rest of the audience um, about topography-guided LASIK. This is really the LASIK debate. Um, we're going to talk about topography-guided LASIK versus wavefront-guided LASIK, and then obviously wavefront-optimized or more or less traditional LASIK. So with that being said, Bill, thanks for uh, for taking some time out tonight. Sure. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for having me. This is a great subject. And uh, it's definitely now that we have different options, it's good to discuss, you know, what do those options mean as far as for us for refractive surgery? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think we both do a fair amount of LASIK and sometimes it's um, you figure out your patterns, you figure out what works in your hands and works with your technology in your clinic. And sometimes, um, especially in LASIK, when you get such great results in general, it can be a little bit difficult to think about changing your practice pattern because it's, it follows that old adage, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So, but you're one who likes to always be on the cutting edge. Again, you're someone who I look to um, when I'm thinking about maybe investing in new technology or new ideas, I always like to kind of get your opinion on things. So walk me through your process of going from, you know, a, pr a procedure that is working great and working well for your patients, maybe even uh, with technology that's paid off. Um, what made you make, want to make the switch to topography-guided LASIK? And then maybe we'll ask some other questions about your experience. Sure, sure thing. You know, I think... A lot of it has to do with it's just a matter of percentages and, and, and getting a larger uh, patient base to, you know, with a, a better percentage of 2020 or better than 2020. And I think, you know, traditionally, you know, traditional LASIK it worked quite well. We had, uh, you know, 10 years ago, all we had was a NIDAC laser. And in general, most of our patients did well, but we saw that some of the higher prescriptions or some of the larger pupil patients or some of the higher stigmatism, you know, the, the rate of 2020 w wasn't satisfactory. You know, I look back at my old results with our old NIDAC, and in general, we were about 60 to 70 percent 2020 or better across, you know, all, all patients, which at the time was pretty good. But what happened is, you know, over time, patients' expectations rise, and you want to be able to, to, to treat every patient and, and, as best you can and have that high, high chance of achieving their expectations. So I think the newer technology, a lot of times, uh, you know, captures some of the outliers or just raises your overall chance of getting that right prescription across the board. So, you know, early we had, you know, we went from NIDAC to um, <clears throat> Wavefront uh, guided treatment with the Vizax, and we noticed an increased, uh, you know, opportunity of, of, of achieve, achieving that 2020 goal. And, uh, I think what, what, what it allowed to do, it allowed the, the VizX to treat a little bit wider zones, um, allowing for a little bit more st stable prescription. Um, and in general, you know, we still use that, that same uh, VizX wavefront uh, guided treatment. 
around those times, we saw, you know, we also adapted the wavefront optimized uh, platform, the Allegretto laser, and we saw that 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 was getting great results and very similar results to what we're see, seeing with wavefront guided. So we had this wavefront optimized versus wavefront guided, and I think there's a lot of back and forth which platform was better, or which which technology was better. And I saw, and so I think. That some patients we saw did better with wavefront guided, and some did wavefront optimized. So we ended up offering both platforms, and I would just try to choose which patient group seemed to fit better. Uh, it seemed like the higher prescriptions seemed to do better with a wavefront optimized. A lot of it may have to do with speed of the laser treatments and <clears throat> less drying times. Also, you know, so, sometimes some of the uh, higher order aberrations could affect your your overall treatment, and you might have treated higher order aberrations, but overall miss the spherical equivalent. And so sometimes wavefront optimize allow you, you know, allows you to hit that target with maybe a little bit more precision if it's a relatively normal eye. So that, uh, that brought us up to about a year or two ago, uh, offering both wavefront guided and wavefront optimized platforms. And about a year or two ago, we integrated NIDAC topo guided treatments. And, and what we saw was that it, it that again raised the level of satisfaction and percent of 2020. So with the newest platform, we're up, uh, over 95 percent 2020, which is pretty amazing. Going looking back over 10 years with our original NIDAC, we're about 60 percent 2020. So we've really increased the the opportunity to hit that target. Now we're starting to measure 2015, and we're about 60 percent 2015. So our sort of 2015 level is where our 2020 level was back in the day. And we still offer the other platforms, Wavefront Optimized and Wavefront Guided. But I found that with some of the advantages, I think, to topography guided, what I like about it, there's a, a few different things that, that make it stick out. Number one, you're treating the manifest refraction, at least when, with the NIDAC platform, allows us to treat the manifest refraction. Sometimes with Wavefront uh, Guided, you're sort of taking a leap of faith that that machine has captured the correct spherical equivalent in, in the correct refraction. With topography guided, you're taking the manifest refraction and then adding on top of that the irregularity of the topography. So you have this uh, trust in your in, in, in your in the chair refraction that's going to be translated to that patient. So I think that's an advantage. Also, you get to study that topography and see what the preoperative topography looks like and the postoperative topography and see, does it make sense? Is it treating that eye the way you liked it, uh, what, what you'd expect it to do? And you see what the topography is going to be, uh, what, what it's predicting, is, I, I guess, is the final topography. And sometimes you're maybe in between the exact axis. Maybe you've done a few different refractions, and they're cycloplegic, was, let's say, axis 90, and their manifest was actually axis 95. And you get to see, you can plug both of those treatments into the topography nomogram and see what does that do to the topography and does it leave the uh, end result w w with what you're expecting. So I think having that opportunity to see what the eye is going to look like after the treatment uh, can help sort of raise the overall uh, outcome level with that topography guidance. Well, you bring up a lot of really interesting points. Um, first of all, just the progression of laser technology. Um, and with the progression of laser technology, the increased patient expectations. And so it's sort of the chicken or the egg. You know, as, as technology gets better, patient expectations get, get higher, and that requires technology to get better. And it's sort of this back and forth. And you know, sometimes you think about patient expectations as a bad thing, but actually, as we've been discussing this, I sort of think, 
you know, as patients expect more, we expect more out of ourselves. And that really does drive technology um, to get better as well. So maybe in some ways, patient expectations and expectations of ourselves really does help drive technology to uh, the next level. Um, to drill down on a couple of the points you made, um, you know, Wavefront optimized or traditional LASIK, you know, there's something about it that's just so simple. You have a refraction and you plug that in and it really is a what you see is what you get kind of result. And as long as someone is uh, seeing pretty well uh, through the foropter, you know they're going to do pretty well uh, with your LASIK treatment. Um, with wavefront guided treatments, like you mentioned, there's a leap of faith. And not only is there a leap of faith, but a lot of that is dependent on the pupil. And what is, the, what is their pupil size when you measure their wavefront refraction? And you know, we kind of have this 75-50-15 uh, rule where you know, the sphere has to be within 70, you know, 0.75 diopters, um, the um, cylinder has to be within a half a diopter, and the axis has to be within 15 degrees of our manifest refraction to really feel like we can trust the, uh, uh, you know, the, the wavefront um, refraction. But still, that's a little bit... Um, in this day and age, that's, that's a little bit of variability that we don't really like. And so um, we kind of all have this leap of faith, as you mentioned, and as obsessive compulsive surgeons, we don't really like that. So I can really um, wrap my arms around how maybe topography guided um, treatments, it may be the best of both worlds, it seems, where you're still trusting your in-the-chair refraction, but having a real handle on topography through years of experience, not only made with cataract surgery, but also with LASIK and looking at a lot of topographies, it may be that that really just makes more sense because even as I have come to understand wavefront um, aberrometry, it still is a little bit of a conceptual um, leap to um, really feel like I fully understand all the ins and outs of um, higher order aberrations. Whereas I know what a good topography looks like and it sounds like with your ability to plug in the treatments and look at the topography and then look at what the post-op topography um, is going to look like, you really may have a better um, overall gestalt of what the patient is going to be doing afterwards. And maybe that's where you're able to um, provide better results for your patients because you're, you're combining the science and the art of medicine. Do you feel that's possibly a fair uh, application? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great way to put it. There's the science and the art. And I think, you know, at least in the U.S. with the, with the Wavefront Guided, it, it, it relies more on science, maybe a little bit less on art. Are you, are you restricted to be able to, to, uh, to make those adjustments? And, um, and, and that leap of faith can be a little bit, you know, anxiety-provoking. And, and like you said, there's a wide range there of, of what's considered normal. But if you can get a great in-the-chair refraction uh, and, and treat off, I guess, a subjective number rather than you know a, an, uh, an objective measurement that may or may not fit what the patient's looking to see, you know, a lot of times you know, an objective autorefraction may not fit the subjective you know in-the-chair refraction. You know, a lot of times we don't we don't you know prescribe glasses or contacts off of you know, objective measurements. Typically, we're we're going off of subjective. Uh, measurement. I think that's where the art comes in. And so, so far, the the, the topography guided uh, platform allows you to mix both of those both of those techniques. And and I think that's a great way to put it. You're mixing you know, the art and the science, 
and, and it gives the uh, surgeon to, sort of that ability to make adjustments as he sees fit. Um, you know, even you know, things, something simple as, let's say, monovision, um, with, with currently with the NIDAC platform, I can, I can plug in any you know, uh, refraction so I can scale back the uh, one eye for near vision and, and feel confident we're going to hit that with the current gates that we have for wavefront guided. We just don't have that ability to, to type in a different refraction that's outside of the uh, 0.75 adjustment. So, Bill, let's talk about what I think is a on a lot of people's minds, which is what about those corneas that maybe are irregular? Um, maybe patients who have had um, a decentered ablation or maybe an irregular cornea. Maybe I'm not going, you know, keratoconus patients or form fruits keratoconus, but maybe patients who are just have a little bit more irregular astigmatism. Um, that's where I think a lot of people feel like topography guided is really going to allow us to have a new tool to treat corneas that, you know, maybe in the past just wouldn't be good LASIK candidates for a lot of reasons. Um, have you have you wandered into the weeds with patients who uh, maybe have had previous treatments and need to have a, an enhancement to normalize their topography or some other example of a, a case perhaps that uh, topography guided treatments have have allowed you to do something that perhaps you couldn't have done in the past? Yeah, that's a that's a great to uh, topic, and I think you know, we can we can dive back into sort of the application as far as. Is it best for normal eyes, or or should it only be used for irregular eyes? And there's two two different schools of thoughts. But let's first you know discuss sort of the abnormal eyes. You, you know, I, I have had the opportunity there. That you know, we've all been sort of over the past probably five or ten years have, have seen patients with irregular corneas and said, well, there's technology that's coming. Why don't, why don't you wait for that technology to come out? And, uh, finally, you know, you know, we have this technology and those patients have started to trickle back in. They said, hey, doc, I see the topography got a LASIK got approved. Are you, are, can I be treated now? And so it's sort of put, put the, a little bit of pressure on us because I've kind of been pushing these patients <laughs> off and off and waiting. And now they're finally coming home to roost and say, hey, now I want that treatment. Um, a, a couple examples would be, let's say, a decentered ablation. Uh, with an older technology, let's say we've had a few patients that were, had treatments prior to eye tracking and, and there was uh, some decentered ablations and those patients have been waiting for, for quite some time and, and uh, we have had the opportunity to treat them with topography guided LASIK and, and the results so far have been fantastic. With, uh, the patients I've treated with these regular corneas have, have all done very, very well. A, a couple decentered ablations, a couple... Um, sort of uh, a regular sort of form fruits keratoconus type uh, appearance where, where, where they've had, let's say, cross-linking to uh, stiffen their cornea. Now uh, we can do a, a, a small treatment to make their irregular corneas more regular. And I've treated uh, one patient that's had a history of uh, uh, corneal transplant that had a, a regular cornea after a corneal transplant. And uh, the, all those patients have done quite well. I, th I think we we do have to be careful as far as what we're promising again, but as far as the setting those expectations, you know, uh, now like you discussed earlier, sort of that expectation slash technology curve. Now we do have better technology, but we have to be careful. Still keep that expectation uh, in check. That uh, I, I tend, especially these early patients, I haven't promised too much. I said you know this may take 
more than one treatment. We're definitely, we're, our hopes are to make it better, but it may not be perfect. And uh, so far, the patients have been happy, but I, I'm looking forward to sort of uh, you know, treating this more wide bracterum. Uh, so far, we've only treated a few other highly irregular corneas, and we're starting to become more comfortable having seen their early results. Well, that's really promising, Bill, and that's that's music to my ears because you know we all have those patients who are floating around and um, perhaps have been waiting for um, you know a new technology, a new treatment that's going to be able to help them. And if you were talking to a new surgeon who perhaps just got a uh, NIDAC laser and was going to start offering topo guided treatments, what are some things where you'd say, "Hey, here's some pearls," or "Here's some things to look out for." Um, you know, that I've learned along the way. What are some pearls you could share with uh, some folks who are maybe either thinking about getting started or are indeed on the, on the beginning of their journey? Sure. You know, one thing that I found interesting was, you know, analyzing the topography. Initially, I thought the, quote, perfect topography would say, let be a, uh, an all-green topo where everything, where it's a perfect sphere appearance, you know, K's 42 by 42, uh, with no sill, no irregularity. And what's interesting is we learned from uh, Doug Koch's work uh, down in Baylor with this posterior corneal astigmatism that since there is posterior corneal astigmatism and or lenticular astigmatism, the ideal topography for most patients is a topography with a, uh, about a half diopter of with the rule astigmatism, so about a half diopter of astigmatism around 90 degrees. And initially, I was looking at those and saying, well, gosh, I should bump up my cylinder to, to erase that and look for these you know, uh, predicted postoperative topographies being perfectly spherical or perfectly green, I guess. But, you know, uh, but in reality, most patients have some sort of either lenticular and or posterior corneal astigmatism that the anterior topography will need to, to mask or, or, or be in line with. So... I guess don't be surprised that if you're seeing the predicted topography in most cases being a half to three quarters of, of a diopter with the rule of astigmatism um, as your uh, potential or predicted final result. Wow, Bill, that that is um, that really makes sense to me. You know, as you explain it, you know, the, this the work on posterior corneal astigmatism um, down at Baylor, I think, has really opened up our eyes. No pun intended. To um, what may be going on behind the scenes, and this really seems confirmatory of if, if what you're saying is uh, is really what's going on. It really does make a lot of sense why you'd want to leave um, a topography with some with the rule uh, because you're balancing out the against the rule posterior astigmatism. So that that makes a lot of sense. Um, anything procedurally or when you're going through and looking at the topography or um, you know analyzing it to make sure that you're getting you know getting a, a good scan. I assume that's that's a, that's kind of a no brainer, but um, any other things or pearls uh, with the equipment or doing sort of the pre-op workup? Sure. Yeah, I think having a well-trained uh, and experienced technician taking the topographies is crucial because you're going to be using that information to, to guide the treatment. Traditionally, let's say if there's a little dry spot or a little irregularity, you might it, it might not hinge as far as the, the final outcome of the, of the case with traditional LASIK. But with this, the, the, the scans are crucial. So um, we, we have initially started with just one technician that, that was her job was to take the preoperative topographies. And initially, the first month or so, we, we had maybe a 50% capture rate where 
half the eyes were not getting uh, quality, quality scans. We weren't comfortable treating. But after time, experience, and, and education, now we're over 95 or 99% capture where we have uh, good quality information that we're using to guide the final treatment. So I think taking great scans, um, <clears throat> analyzing the, the irregularity, uh, how much irregularity is, is, is being treated, if it's a highly irregular eye, let's say a, po a decentered ablation, you might have 10, 20, or 30 microns of, of a regular treatment uh, being added to the cornea, and you should be cognizant of that. If you have 20 microns of treatment that's on top of your, your sphere or cylinder, there's a, there's a potential of over-treating um, your sphere portion. So, so keep that in mind. Um, if it's a, a two to 10 microns, it's, it's a relatively minimal effect on your final sphere. But on the, on the irregular eyes, you should look and see you know, how many microns are being treated as far as the irregular portion and where is that being laid down? Is it being laid down centrally? If so, then it may cause sort of a, a, a hyperopic end result or if it's being laid down peripherally as it, it may end up being in say uh, more of a myopic end result or it could uh, have the potential of inducing or treating astigmatism. So, so it, it takes a little bit more art as far as analyzing that and seeing where the regular treatment is being laid down and how much, how many microns are being uh, placed just so you don't have it either over or under correction. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess in summary, your summary thoughts, um, is topography guided here to stay and is it for all patients or a niche? What, do you, what, what, what would you say your summary statement is on, on uh, topography guided experience with LASIK? Great. Yeah. In summary, I think topography guided is definitely here to stay. For us, it's been uh, uh, you know, our, our go-to procedure for, for basically all patients, uh, both more normal looking corneas and irregular corneas. I think We've learned it does great on the, on the irregular corneas, but we've also learned it, it's, a, it's a great tool just for the more regular uh, run-of-the-mill corneas and, and mostly because it allows you to sort of go through the process, map out, see where the treatment is, see what the effect is. It may, it's one other tool to use to help with your decision-making as far as um, you know, how much sphere, how much cylinder, and where's the exact axis, and you can use that topography portion as, as part of that decision making to, to more or less increase your final uh, results or increase the chance of hitting 2020 or better than 2020. Well, Bill, thank you so much for um, obviously all you do in our field, uh, for being a leader in this area and uh, taking some time out tonight to uh, discuss it with me. I've learned a lot and I'm sure a lot of people will find this very interesting. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz with Ophthalmology Off the Grid, and today I have with me Dr. Carl Stonecipher. And Carl, I just want to say thank you for giving us a little bit of your time to talk about topography-guided LASIK and uh, the Wavelight system. Uh, I guess it's called the um, Contura system at this yes. point. And if you'd give us a little bit of background of your experience with topography-guided LASIK with this system, and maybe your experience with other platforms or other systems, and maybe where you see this um, as a platform moving forward in your practice. Well, first, thanks for having me, and I think this is a great kind of format that you're putting together, and I really appreciate that for those of us who have commutes and drives and all that sort of stuff. We can hang out and listen to a podcast, and I like kind of a casual 
atmosphere. But today, what you've asked me to kind of talk about is my experience with you know, topographic guided laser vision correction, which we have now called Contura, or that's the new kind of trademark name that, that Alcon's going with. So realistically, Contour is not new, okay? So we started working with this in clinical trials, I mean, over seven, eight years ago. And as you know, and we've talked about that, that it was approved in 2013. So the rollout or the launch has been extremely slow, but I started working with this, obviously in the FDA trials, and we got some of the best results we've ever seen with uncorrected distance visual acuity. But on top of that, we've gotten some of the best results in terms of reducing glare, reducing halo, reducing you know, some of these side effects that are unwanted. So what I like to do is educate the crew kind of where we're at in terms of this whole big picture. If we talk about a conventional platform, well, you know, you use a technology that's got a conventional platform, business has got a conventional platform. Well, realistically, Wavelight, when they first came out, they came out with this Wavefront optimized platform in the U.S., which basically allowed us to add pulses to the periphery where we were losing energy when the pulse was coming in at, a, at a, an angle. And so primarily what we did was we reduced some of the induced, you know, aber you know aberrations that we were producing, like spherical aberration, for example. So then we go to Wavefront Guided. So I also have a VizX system. So if I use a VizX platform, uh, it's going to be a custom view as long as I can get an appropriate custom view. Uh, but pretty much, you know, probably now 80 uh, percent of my patients are done with a Wavefront optimized platform because we get such good results. And then the other 20 percent now are this contour vision. So how do I differentiate? When I do Wavefront guided, when I, it, I'm still, we wrote the paper, Dr. Kazarian and I did, uh, years ago that basically showed if your RMSH or your root mean uh, sphere higher order aberrations are, are, are um, 0.4 for sure or higher, they need some type of custom treatment. And that's when we'll go back to that platform. So if it's 0 0.4, 0 0.45 or higher, and, and, and surprisingly, a lot of this is in the enhancements. You know, some of these enhancement eyes that we've done, you know, their, their eyes previously before and they've come back and they've regressed or whatever. With Contura, what I'm trying to do is, is teach people not to go out and do all the 20 unhappy people. So it is a true topographic guided treatment why do I like it? Because we get larger optical zones. We can, outside the United States, treat some of these highly aberrated eyes, but that's not what you're trying to do in the U.S. So in the U.S., we're approved up to minus nine with up to six diopters, and, and right now we're getting phenomenal results. But again, noise in is noise out. So you and I both know if we get a bad refraction, we're not going to get a good result. So we still have to you know, work off that refraction. And then we also have to be able to get a really nice uh, picture, you know, topographic picture, which can be, a, you know, the eyelashes, deep set eyes, you know, Neanderthal man, whatever you want to say. <laughs> so. Right, right. Well, and that's, that's um, it brings up a good point that I've, I've really, through the years, even though I'm not, you know, intimately familiar with the Wavelight platform in my own hands, you know, I've got a lot of friends who use the Wavelight uh, Allegretto, they use the Wavefront optimized treatment, and they love it. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, it's really hard to improve upon a platform that's so robust, that's so good, that right. gives great results. And, and it really, in many ways, is kind of like pushing the easy button because if you get a good refraction, you dial that in and there's, there's few variables that go into that because you, you pretty much know if you get a good manifest refraction, you've got a great chance of having a happy patient afterwards with just the Wavefront Optimize. So I kind of use the analogy that, you know, if you're standing on the North Pole, any step you take from there, you're going south. Right. And so, you, or at least with this platform, you know, improving upon something that's already just tremendous and fantastic, 
um, it gives us the opportunity at least, um, maybe, and this may be the reason why the rollout has been a little bit slow, and I have to give Alcon credit for that. You know, course, typically, definitely. an FDA approval, you know, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, and as soon as you get it, you're launching. Right. And I really have to give Alcon a lot of credit for saying, let's slow this process down, let's make sure we get it right, let's make sure that when this is rolled out to the masses, we're not causing problems or having to, you know, really you know, reinvent the wheel here. So I really do have to give Alcon a lot of credit for being very thoughtful in the way they've rolled this out. But the question is, you know, with Topo Guided, as you mentioned, in the, in the rest of the world, it's, it's finding its place really in those either maybe form-fruist or questionable form-fruist keratoconus patients where they're also doing, you know, some cross-linking, right. maybe someone who has a central island or a decentered ablation or maybe a small optical zone that they're trying to, you know, make a larger optical zone. Uh, for some of the problems that you'd mentioned. And the approval for this Contour system is really on the normalize. Right. And it's contraindicated, at least by FDA standards, to use in those cases. And I don't know if that is as much um, an indictment on the fact that getting through the FDA, you just have to be, you have to find your spot and stick to it. Um, or, you know, where this technology is going to be used, you know, even perhaps off-label down the road. I mean, what are your thoughts it's, on that? It's simpler than that. And so one thing I want to do is not denigrate any platform. So right now you're 100% correct. We are getting phenomenal results across all platforms. Right. And so I think that, you know, we always get this negative LASIK, negative LASIK stuff that's coming out. And, and it's amazing the results we get. So you're right to go to that next level. You know, is this going to be a treatment for everybody? I have friends of mine, Mickey Gordon, Carrie Solomon, that are probably using this in close to 100% of their patients. A good friend of mine, Jerry Tan, close to 100% of his patients. But outside the United States, when we looked at this a while back, it was probably about 20, 25% of the patient population. But some people have now bumped that up to 50% of the population. And so you're picking and choosing the right person. Now, the one thing I want to disagree with you on, on slight point is Central Islands. It doesn't work well for Central Islands. And so what happened was Guy Kazarian, his infinite wisdom, when he was trying to design studies, tried to do what we called the 20 unhappy study. Mm -hmm. And what the problem was, was let's say if you're 2020 and you're unhappy for whatever reason, glare, halos, whatever, we couldn't get an FDA parameter that they were happy to say you went from a to B, and that was better. You went from you know, 2020 unhappy to 2020 happy. happy. And, and so our, our infallibility was trying to find out a way to measure that. Now, the second thing is, in these highly aberrated eyes, most of the individuals, if they're using you know, cross-linking, it's in keratoconus, like John Kamenopoulos, uh, Arthur Cummings, Matthias Mouse. But the big picture with the highly aberrated eyes is a lot of those people, like David Lynn, for example, will say, you know, you have to treat these highly aberrated eyes just for their basic aberrations and their corneal uh, problems. And then you come back and it's really probably a two-stage procedure because you can end up plus or minus one diopter and you and I both know if I reduce your aberrations and I reduce and make your normal cornea but, but you're a minus one, you're going to say, well, you know, I'm 2040 now and I right. can't see. Thanks a lot, Doc. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or if I'm plus one and I'm 40, it's even worse. Right. So, so right. I think you know, we're still trying to figure out the niche. And that's why I always say, do the easy peasy lemon squeezies. And I always say that anytime you get a new platform, yeah. 
You've got data link to help you, which has got data. You've got internet-based refractive analysis to help you. So there's a huge pool of data that if you're going to go pick up a wave light tomorrow, you can go and look and have an established nomogram with thousands of, of laser procedures in there. And so at least it's a good starting point where when you and I first started off, it was like, okay, we're going to throw a dart and see what sticks. Right. Right. So, exactly. and I think that's, you know, that's the biggest surgeon's nightmare because we have a lot of new users to this platform. So TLC just picked this up and some of the other uh, big centers picked this up. And so I think that for the most part, you know, we're going to see a lot of people using the software and it's nice to be able to say, okay, this is a person I should start in. And I, I tell everybody, start off with minus one, minus two, minus three, see what you do, and then slowly work up both with astigmatism and with nearsightedness. And then you'll get outcomes like we're, we're at 71% on day one seeing 2016, and on day one we're at 2010 in 10% of the patients. And that's, that's another point that I've, I've talked to some other surgeons, they say, you know, with topography guided, it looks like we're getting the most 2012 2016s ever, but maybe we're not getting quite as high 2020. Have you found that in your practice no, at all? No, we're still at okay. 100% on 2020. And so I really think that the infallibility there revolves around the refraction. So to step back, one of my pearls mm -hmm. is I have two lanes that I refract in. I know what the vertex distances are in case I have to put in an ICL or we measure it in the patients, you know, if we're doing an ICL type thing. But I have two lanes with the really nice, you know, charts. visual charts <laughs> like SMS or, you right. know, or something from Lombard. Right. It's not an old tube projector exactly. with a bulb that's dim and, and, a, can't see. and a bunch of dust on the end of the lens. Yeah. My staff actually measure 2010 before surgery. So I can know if I lost the best corrected line, if they went from 2010 to 2016 or 2015. And then basically, I have two people that really refract. Now, I have 294 surgeons that refer into me. So we have all these physicians referring into us. And they're optometrists, other physicians, whatever you want to say. But for the most part, in those people, we still re-refract them. And, and, and I look at you and I say, okay, I'd love to have your cycloplegic data, your manifest data, because I want to know if that's changed. Right. But when they get back here, you know, it's kind of measure twice, cut once yep. thing. And, and the, the patients love it. The doctors don't get offended. And you basically do the better one, better two thing on the day of surgery. And, and it slows you down. I, I won't lie about that, but, but boy, it helps with the results immensely. Well, and that's another thing about you know maybe slowing you down with with the wavefront optimized. It, it seems like you know you get a good refraction, you're pretty happy with it in the lane. You punch it into the laser, things Point are pretty cut. pretty simple, right? Yeah. And you know with the wavefront guided treatments, you know you had to make sure that your pupil was the right size, and then you had to look at the wavefront data and make sure that it it was close to your your dry refraction and close to your cyclo refraction and then you've got to maybe you know change it a little bit in in the in the computer um, so what about this are there additional it sounds like there's additional steps, steps and maybe from that side of things it slows you down and you know we're willing to slow down right. if there's a payoff so tell walk me through that a little and bit and so that's what 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 basically payoff from a monetary standpoint as well as a payoff for an outcome standpoint right. and so you know, I've always kind of been one price for everybody, but we did bump this up um, in terms of the big picture because it does take more staff time to okay. get a good picture. Right. Then once you're in the operative suite, you basically look at, say, eight pictures or ten pictures or how many pictures you let them take, and then you look for continuity. And so if there's one that's like, whoa, that doesn't look like the other ones, Outlier. it's gone. Right. But you've got to physically do that, and really that's not something I don't think the technician can do. Right. 
am I opposed if a technician does it? Well, anybody's trainable. Right. But my point is, is at the beginning, it's going to be the surgeon trying to figure out whether that topography is good or bad. Now, on top of that, then you have to go in and look and see what that is going topographic to the guided treatment is going to do to the refraction. Right. So you can look at it, and it's a little bit of art, and you can say, well, maybe that's going to induce a little hyperopia when I look at just purely what the topographic guided laser vision correction is going to do. And then I, so I back that off, and I may add a little minus to it to see to how that counterbalances it, and then I'll say, okay, that looks good, so I'm going to add that to the treatment. And, and I think that's why Alcon's done such a great job with the slow rollout. So they wanted to release it to, say, 10 surgeons mm -hmm. and, and then see how they did with the software. And then once they got those 10 surgeons to do it, then they're trying to train those surgeons to train the next you know, 20 surgeons, which will train the next 40 surgeons, which will train. And so they're going to they're gonna hopefully give you a tool. So it's like if I take you out to NASCAR. You know, I'm from NASCAR, Bill. You know? <laughs> so if I take you out and I put you in the car, and you're going to go around the track at 170 miles an hour. If you hit the wall, it's my fault. Right. You know, exactly. because I didn't show you how to shift. I didn't put you in the car, drive around a little bit, and, and, and make it to where you feel, you know, comfortable before you jump into this stuff. And I think it's a bit Ferrari-ish. I mean, you're going to that next level of, you know, what do I got to do with regards to my nomograms? And I've already said that Ibra software, internet-based refractive analysis, and data link, Guy Kazarian software both help you get there faster, okay. you know, so you, once you got your 50 cases in, you're probably using your own stuff, but I mean, you, those first 50, you want to start off slow, low, and then last but not least, I think you and I have to figure out, okay, what is normal and what's abnormal? And so that goes back to the way front guided. We had a measurement of if it's 0.4 or higher, I've kicked them over to the way front guided. Wavefront optimized everybody else, and now we've got this new set of, say, 20, 25% in my practice of patients we're using this on. Mickey, like I said, is using it in 100%. Uh, I think Carrie's close to 100%. So I think it all depends on where you want to go because it's going to give you much larger optical zones. So that's the number one issue that you're going to see in people. And we wrote a paper years ago, Guy Kazarian and I did, about you know, people is not really an issue with the newer design. So if somebody comes in and says, oh, I got a huge pupil, does that scare me to operate on them? I'm sure you agree right. it doesn't. But right. I think for the most part now, what do patients benefit most from with topographic guided laser vision correction? And I think they have to have a little bit of irregularity. So if you look and it's all green all across, it's going to make a larger pupil. I mean, you know, larger Opt zone, optical zone. Optical right. But I think for the most part, I don't know if that translates into anything because we hadn't really looked at that per se. But we did, like I say, get some of the best outcome satisfaction rates with these patients in terms of, you know, visual quality. Not only quantity, but visual quality, right. which is cool. Right. What about PRK? Are you using this with PRK as well? Have you noticed any difference between PRK and LASIK that's topo-guided? So I think in terms of, of PRK-driven topographic guided laser vision correction is what a lot of these guys are doing in the highly aberrated eyes. And I think it, it, it takes away some of the issues with the flap. Plus, some of these highly aberrated eyes, you know, they come in with like six different treatments. I had a guy the other day came in with 64 incisions on his cornea. You know, and you're like, uh, really? You know, and I counted them. I was like, I was fascinated. So I think... Was there I, any, any gap between? There's not much, it... and there's a lot of crossing going on too. <laughs> so, you know, I think that for the most part, if you're going to do a virgin eye, you can get away with LASIK all day long as long as you've got the appropriate anatomy. 
But I think th there's a lot of people that like PRK. And so I think, you know, some of these military types are still more prone to say, I want to do PRK, an MM fighter, you know, a karate guy, maybe I'm wanting to do PRK. So I still see people walk in asking, you know, for, for laser vision correction on the surface. Right. Right. What about any difference with um, how tissue hungry the platform is if you're going with a topo guided treatment? Is there any, any issues with maybe you're taking away a little bit more tissue? Does that concern you? Is that something that might drive you towards one treatment versus the other based on like residual stromal bed thickness? Yeah, and I think that there's, there's a latest uh, paper, Santos I think published it, and it's, it's always been my thought process. You got to leave a certain percentage of the cornea behind. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that taking 300 microns in a 600 micron cornea is different than taking 300 microns in a 500 micron cornea. Right. So yes, there is a little bit more tissue, especially when you're doing these aberrated eyes. So a lot of the guys that I work with, David Lind, Arthur Cummings, you know, sometimes you may have a minus two refraction, but in fact, you may have a 12 second treatment well, this laser's taken off two seconds per diopter, so you like go, oh, well, that doesn't make sense. It should be like a four-second treatment. Why is this all of a sudden 12? Because what it's doing in the periphery, but that's where you get the refractive surprises. Right, yeah. right. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much. You've, you've given us so many pearls. I feel more educated about the platform, uh, where it's at right now, maybe the, the way to start, and maybe where we're headed with this platform as well. So, Carl, I can't thank you enough for taking some time to talk to me today, and uh, just want to say thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. I think, it's a, new, I think it's a new, cool way to uh, transmit information. Absolutely. Well, this has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid with Dr. Gary Wirtz. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I love having the opportunity to get some of the best minds in our field together to hear their thoughts on the latest advancements in treatment and technology. I hope you enjoyed hearing what they had to say and were able to take away some pearls to use in your practice. If you'd like to hear more episodes, please visit us at itube.net backslash podcasts. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz. Until next time. This episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid is sponsored by Centurion by Alcon.